Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. What's the experience that you're trying to deliver to your customer, okay? And then here's an interesting question, which is, what would you want your product to tell you? If you ask people about what they want or their own experience, the way they've, they reacted, you know, we all know that, that those memories are biased in all kinds of different ways. You can think that you've been using something more or less than you actually have. And getting that subjective voice of customer information back, getting their biased assessments is still useful, right? Because that's what they really think. So if Ryan was phoning them up and going, hey, my saw's not working, they could look at that and go, well, yeah, you've been sticking some concrete through it. That's the problem. Ryan, you know, we often get tied up or wrapped up in customer experiences and we often talk about sort of the human dimension of customer experience and you know how people are feeling and all those other wonderful things but it struck me the other day as I was reading this article that we fail to sort of think about in detail the product do we yeah I mean we talk in marketing classes about the difference between products and services but one of the big changes in, in marketing over the last 30 years has been to kind of treat even products like services and in, in that we focus on the experience of the product. Yes, absolutely. So I read this really interesting article by Tobias Gogol, and it really struck home to me that, and he was talking about the voice of the product. So I reached out to Tobias and the good news is he's on the show this week. So welcome, Tobias. Welcome, Tobias. Hey, Colin and Ryan. Great to be here. Yeah, no, thanks very much. And uh, your article was really good. We'll obviously put a link to the article in the in the show notes. But Tobias is a principal product marketing manager at Twilio. So perhaps you could just tell us a bit about yourself and a bit about Twilio, and then we'll get into the heart of what the article was about. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I consider myself a technologist, and I started my career about 17 years ago, the first 16 of which I spent in the customer service technology space, starting off with dealing with IVR technology and chatbots and you know contact center and, and more broadly. And then last year, I decided it's time for something new. And I decided I want to pivot, you know, the industry and I decided for IoT, Internet of Things, yeah, which is a great industry to be in, very exciting. So I joined Twilio about a year ago. Twilio is actually a, a company not necessarily known for dealing in this IoT space. They might be a known name for uh, your audience, though, as in that they provide uh, services for developers to create and build great customer experiences by leveraging messaging, by leveraging voice, and, and yes, IVR as well, basically making it super easy for a developer to build, like embed a messaging experience, which is how we all communicate these days, into any kind of business process. You know, signing up for a new product, 
getting customer service, getting marketed at sales, whatever it is, we make it super simple to embed, you know, SMS, WhatsApp, those services, chat, email into that. Good. And to be honest, mate, you had me at IoT because as soon as I read, I was reading the article and I'm thinking, bloody hell, yeah, this is really good. And not only that, I'm going to reach out because I get to talk about technology and I love it. So perhaps you could talk us through the essence of the article and then we can kick it around because I think it touches on a number of themes that Ryan and I have talked about many times on this. But there's some really interesting stories and some really interesting takes based upon IoT and and how that is changing the way that we and the information that we get. So maybe you could outline what the sort of the essence of the article was. Yeah. So as I said, I'm I'm new to IoT as well, or you know, was over a year ago when I joined Twilio. So I had to figure out what is it all about. And coming from a customer service perspective and in a general technology kind of lens, but with a background of uh, linguistics, that was my academic background, you know, studying language and communications, how do we communicate with each other? I looked at it from that lens and realized that it's really about giving everything out there in the physical world a voice hmm. so that things can tell us about themselves. Right. If you think of any object in the physical world and then think about what could that object tell me about? Could it tell me, you know, how cold it is where it is? Could it tell me how wet it is where it is? Could it tell me its location? Could it tell me how it's doing? Could it tell me how it's being used? Maybe if it's a product, you know, that, that customers and consumers use. And what can I do with that insight? So that's kind of the perspective and the lens that I have. Right. And in the article, I laid out that I believe that we're missing out on a big constituent in the business to customer relationship, and that is the product itself that's being sold. Now, in the digital space, if you think of digital products, web products, you know, content management systems, CRM systems, any of the business tools that we use on a daily basis, we're already product companies building those products are already kind of tapping into the product itself and kind of listening to what it has to say. That's in the form of like instrumenting that code, as developers call it, to know that, okay, how many times are users actually logging in? How many times are people clicking on this, on that, et cetera, right? So in the digital space, that's easy to do. Yeah. But in the physical real world out there, it's not quite as easy because now we're dealing with hardware and hardware is hard, as the name implies. And the good news is, though, that so much has happened in the last few years in the IoT space, Internet of Things space and connected devices space in terms of hardware getting cheaper, sensors, software solutions and platforms rising up, you know, that make it easier to actually tap into the voice of the product, that maybe it's time to make a particular audience aware of that. And I see that audience in basically your main audience, which is the the broader CX space. Sure. Because the, the technology people get it. They know that this has been possible for many years. But, you know, coming from the CX space myself, I know that, you know, in contact centers, for instance, agents being able to see on their screen, you know, data from the product when a customer calls in about the product, 
to not only get the customer data from a CRM pop-up on an agent desktop, but also product data pop-up directly from the product pulled live. Yeah. That's innovation. That's new. That that's not mostly not there today. So let me jump in and, and try to sort of make sure I've understood this and just uh, for the audience to make sure they're, they're with us. So, you know, we can look at how many times a customer accesses their account. If they've got an account online, uh, you can see how many times a customer has accessed their account. You can see how many clicks there have been on a page. You can see how many links have been clicked in an email that you send. Okay, so we all know that, and that's what you were saying about the digital space. Mm -hmm. But the Internet of Things, which I find absolutely fascinating, and, and in fact, I was a little while ago, I was reading something that talked about the fact that the Internet of Things is actually going to be as big a change to the way that we do things as, as the Internet, creation of the Internet has been. So the Internet of Things is effectively, and I guess this is pretty basic at the moment, but you know, having the connectability, so having a chip, a Wi-Fi chip or some form of chip in there to be able to communicate, as you were saying. But then I guess the key question is, is, well, what do you want to communicate? So here's an interesting thing, actually. And I don't know if I'm pushing this a bit too far, but Ryan's into woodwork, aren't you, mate? Yes, Colin, I am into woodwork. That's how I like to spend my time on my weekends. So I guess, and maybe this is too much of a stretch, I don't know. But it would be interesting to know, well, you know, how could the IoT fit into some of those products? I guess maybe, I don't know, Ryan, I presume you have a like a lathe or something like that. I don't yet, but I have a lot of powered tools. So right. table saws are quite expensive and are electronic. And so you could imagine, I don't know how many of them are internet connected, but you could certainly imagine that they could be. And that could provide a, the manufacturer with a lot of data about how the tool is used. And I think to Tobias's point, could provide information about how the customer is using the tool. So not just how it's performing, but the way the customer interacts with it, for example. Yes, absolutely. That's actually a good example. So let's think through it, right? If you have a, a saw, a table saw, whatever, it isn't an electronic product. There is actually surprisingly much technology happening, you know, and electronics happening in these seemingly simple products these days. Mm -hmm. And it's most likely offline. <laughs> you would know if it wasn't. So what could you see? It's, so there's a couple things that come into play here. One, if it was a connected product, let's say, you know, a vacuum robot, and, and I have an interesting story to tell on that one, but I'll, I'll keep that for now. The product organization behind the vacuum robot manufacturer will already have a way to pull some data from it while the product is online. Typically, you accept certain for that to happen. This is one of the vacuum cleaners that goes around your house and, and exactly like, like a robot. Smart, and, you know, like iRobot or something. Yeah. Roomba. You agree to whatever terms it is, and part of that in somewhere embedded in there is it, is it says, and it's going to send data back to the company. Exactly. And we can talk about the privacy aspect. That's also an interesting topic. Sure. But the point being that if you have a connected product, which your saw likely isn't, then data is being sent. But where does it land? Today, from what I can see, that data stays within the product group, you know, within that manufacturer. It does not land in the lap 
of a CX, you know, business analyst, CX professional, a contact center manager, let alone the call center agent. And that's, I think, the opportunity that we have. For your saw, I always think of three benefits that connecting a product into a CX organization can have. And it's around being proactive and then being active, acting, and then reactive. So on the proactive side, a very common use case for IoT is to do predictive maintenance Mm, or proactive maintenance. Monitoring the state and the condition of a product to know beforehand when it might break if you don't maintain it or when it might need maintenance. And then, you know, acting proactively, saying, hey, here's, here's a spare part, order it now. Think of your printer, right, in your ink cartridge. Yeah. If the printer was connected and it would send me a text to, where all I have to do is, yep, reorder, approve the reorder by sending yes, that would be amazing, right? Do printers do that today? I don't think they do. Mine doesn't. That's one, being proactive, knowing before the customer has an issue that the customer will be having an issue. And we know, you know, in the call center space, if you can prevent a call, that matters big time, yep. you know, in terms of cost. Acting is about, okay, the customer's calling in about an issue with, or with a question, and because the project is connected, the call center agent should be able to pull up and have maybe a frame in their agent desktop with data about the product, like, you know, asking it, hey, tell me how you're doing, tell me your condition, tell me any errors you've had, tell me usage patterns, so that um, the agent is more informed, you know, when the customer calls in. Yeah, and can respond to that. And the third way is to react, which is to do historical analysis. And that's where you get into, you know, the true idea of voice of the product, voice of the saw in this in this case, as in, you know, because voice of the customer, we compare it to that is typically a historical kind of analysis of, you know, spotting trends, you know, understanding usage, you know, in hindsight, and then making educated decisions on how to you know, improve things. So that's the reactive side. If you had that data and you can pull it in and mingle it with VOC data, then you get a more informed view of what's really going on. We wanted to thank everybody for listening. You are great and the reason we do this. We're really pleased that we now have over 200 episodes. We've seen the podcast grow and grow, and now, according to Buzzsprout, it is in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. Thank you. That is truly amazing and not possible without you. But we have one request of you. Can you please tell a friend, a neighbor, or even someone you hate? It would be really good to get more listeners, and it encourages Ryan and I to continue to produce the show. So please, just tell a friend. So can we change the paradigm here and talk about those vacuums for a minute? I, I got to be honest, Colin is very technology focused. I'm more of a Luddite and the idea of a table saw that connects to the internet and could potentially become self-aware and maybe uh, <laughs> attack me at some point. I'm less comfortable with that. Maybe we could talk about vacuums instead. So I, I, I thought it was, you mentioned this in the article, Tobias, which is why I bring it up. And I think it's a very interesting use case about what potentially could be done with this data from a customer insights perspective. Ryan, we will get back to talk about your saw. Because it makes if me I, very uncomfortable, Colin. <laughs> if I can control it from here in some way, when you're out there, 
<laughs> All right. So here's the story. And this is something I've experienced and which really opened my mind and was one of the reasons why I wrote this article. So I own a connected vacuum robot from iRobot. You know, don't get free advertisement here. A Roomba. I've, I've had that for, I think, almost 10 years, almost the time I've been in the States. I love it. It works great. It does what it's supposed to do. It wasn't connected up until recently. I bought a newer generation, so now I could control it with my app. Great. But then I bought a new house earlier this year. My wife and I, we moved to Melrose here in Massachusetts, and we bought a house, and now we have more floor space, and we have hardwood floor, and we have a certain kitchen floor, and we decided to buy a mopping robot. And its name is Moppy to pay Robbie, which is what we named our vacuum at some company. <laughs> well, as long as we're going there, my table saw is named Lurleen. But go ahead. <laughs> so Robbie and Moppy are going about their things. And it's pretty cool what they did. I robot, they basically make the two of them talk to each other. So I can program Robbie to vacuum the kitchen, which is the most dirty, you know, let's say twice a week, and then have Moppy mop right after Robbie is done vacuuming. So now we have a you know wet mop, so we get the clean clean floor. Fantastic! That's a truly connected you know AI product, but the AI is limited to you know looking around with a, with a video camera to learn the floor map, so that when you drop it somewhere, let's say I put it in the living room, press start, it turns around 360 degrees once, and it knows oh I'm in the living room, so now I'm going to you know optimize the living room kind of floor space. So that's great, but. All of a sudden, it started acting up a few months ago, and I couldn't fix it. So I had to call the call center, and you know I was dreading it because you know reality still that many call centers just aren't pleasant experiences. But to my surprise, here's what happened. So first of all, it was a very knowledgeable agent, not a tier one that has that is just dispatching. They were trained engineers; they they knew the products very well. Wow! And then what what she could do is she could actually log in to my robot and kind of, you know, listen to it in the sense of listening to the voice of the product. So asking it, quote unquote, you know, what is the problem? By the way, the problem was that it was no longer going into particular niche in my space that it used to go in. It just wouldn't, it just kind of always drove around it. So pulling up the floor map, pulling up any log files, any error messages. Now think about that. If I had to explain this, what was happening, right? With words that would have taken two, three minutes. Within a few seconds, she knew what was going on. And then she was actually able to push a software upgrade to my robot from her agent desktop. Wow. So that blew my mind coming from the space, knowing, you know, how some call centers still are today. And then seeing this example of really a modern, you know, digital native company that gets it and builds their customer service, you know, right from the get go. Yeah. And of course they have the, you know, the luxury of being relatively new company, not every large enterprise with thousands of agents, you know, can afford to just rethink everything, but sure. fantastic experience. And I was like, wow, why is that not, you know, happening more often? Why aren't other companies doing the same? So it's about thinking about, I mean, if we go back to take that example, and we go back to Ryan's soul. Mm -hmm. Curse you, Colin. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> so what sort of information would you want? It could be how frequently is it used? I guess, Ryan, if you put metal into a woodwork saw or some hard material, yeah, it doesn't like that. It wouldn't like that. It could be how fast the disc is or the bits are rotating. It could be the 
the heat, you know, how hot is it getting? And all those things are sensors that you could put on it that could communicate back. So if Ryan was phoning them up and going, hey, my saw's not working, they could look at that and go, well, yeah, you've been sticking some concrete through it. That's the problem. <laughs> they could probably figure that out just from talking to me, honestly. <laughs> and and I think that that's great. So this would be kind of that reactive stage that you were talking about, Tobias. Yeah. But I was even more excited and interested in you know, the aspect of this where if you ask people about what they want or their own experience, the way they've they reacted, you know, we all know that, that those memories are biased in all kinds of different ways. You can think that you've been using something more or less than you actually have. And getting that subjective voice of customer information back, getting their biased assessments is still useful, right? Because that's what they really think. But then this provides another potential source of information about how often they actually use the product or in what ways they do or or what's causing them problems with it in ways that, that the customer themselves might not be able to articulate or might not be able to remember accurately. And so the opportunity to use this for forward-looking insights, for ways to improve the product in ways the customer couldn't even figure out themselves, like that's really exciting. That sounds like something very new and, and interesting for the, the product space. I agree. And, and there are two aspects to this. So one is, you know, human error and false memories. There's, there's you know, psychology knows quite a bit about that. There is a Wikipedia article that I found a while ago, which I find fascinating. It lists over 50 cognitive biases that we have as humans that influence, you know, what we do, how we think. You know, we, we know some of those, like, you know, confirmation bias the tendency to search for, interpret, focus on, and remember information in a way that confirms one's preconceptions. That That's yeah. a big problem in the internet. Recency bias is another famous one that many of us are aware of that I'm scrolling down here on that article uh, that favors recent events over historic ones, right? A memory bias. Oh, I thought recency you were pulling bias. all this out of your out of your mind, Tobias. I was very impressed. I am not that fascinating. You know, knowing I've learned something early on in my life, and that is Knowing is knowing where to find information. <laughs> I'm reading off Wikipedia. I wish I could just parse out of Wikipedia and have it ready, but maybe Elon Musk will give us that with Neuralink. This is an audio format, Tobias. You could have just pretended, but no, this is fine. I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> you will find that I'm very transparent. That's good. So people, without even realizing, distort you know memories and and, and you know sometimes with realizing if they're ill-intended, but products can't, by definition, by nature, technology is impartial unless you program partiality into the algorithm, which happens with, you know, unfortunately with machine learning approaches, but let's not get into that. It's not about like, oh, the product says X, so you must be wrong. It's like, no, I have another source of information here that gives me a different perspective. So I think it's also key to not train your agents to go, oh, you're wrong. No, 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 yes. right? So let me offer a different perspective. You know, could it be that you, you know, did this because the data shows that, you know, you might have done this. So that's on the reactive side, though. So being proactive, like what if your sensors in the saw determine that the rotation speed is slowly going down mm -hmm. and that might point to a faulty whatever motor or whatever, and you are all of a sudden getting a text or a call or an email from the manufacturer telling you about that. Wouldn't you be like, wow, like, okay, I had no idea. Let me check out. Yeah, you're right. It's actually happening. And then sending you a YouTube link that you can watch a how-to video on how to fix it. 
Yeah, that'd be amazing. That is where we need to go. Yeah, I'll tell you what's going through my mind now is, I don't know if you've ever listened to Formula One racing, where they've got all the telemetry on the car, and as the, the driver's going around, you know, they can tell how hot it is and how much petrol's getting used and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And that's obviously a sophisticated machine. We also did some work with um, Caterpillar. And Caterpillar, obviously, large, large construction equipment products that provide information back to a central hub of how the engine is performing and, you know, so on and so forth. But the really interesting thing about the IoT stuff is, it, is it's taking that concept, isn't it? And it's taking it down to individual items that are, are in our in our house, like a saw or a, I don't know, maybe even a hammer or something like that. Yeah, taking it down to that. It's taking it into the consumer space for sure, but it's also doing one more thing. Many manufacturers have no relationship to their customers. Yeah. Mm. Think of the automobile space. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Preparing for this, I read up um, the history of car sales. <laughs> While I didn't get to the answer in time on like when dealerships really started, it looks like they started pretty early, like early 1900s. And then look at Tesla. There's no dealers. Tesla sells direct. And of course, Tesla is a digital native company. So of course, they instrument their car to the extreme and they know everything about it, which is great. It's not scary. It's great. What they do have to do is to not make it scary, is to be very transparent about that they're, what they're collecting, you know, what they're knowing and explaining to you why they're doing it. If they get you, if they are transparent, or any company and tell you, kind of take you by the hand and say, here's why we're doing this. Here's the benefit that you will get out of us doing this. I think you will win a lot of kinds of customers over. So that speaks to the privacy aspect, but car manufacturers, you know, the dealerships have the customer relationships. So IOT now also, you know, gives us the opportunity to get closer to our customers. And I think that's something that many companies and enterprises out there are working on and realizing they have to to stay competitive yeah now that's a really good point actually because the the danger is is you buy a product from amazon and obviously the you know the manufacturer hasn't got a bloody clue who's got it or where it is and how it's being used and everything else so if they start to build iot stuff into it and it goes back to some central hub then they can start to get lots of feedback on how people are using things and then provide additional services from it yeah, no, that's a really good point. You know, Amazon managed, Amazon is one of those, you know, alongside Tesla, one of those most fascinating companies to study. They're over, you know, trillion dollar, two trillion in some cases. They were so smart to invest over years kind of under the radar into what they've become and convince sellers to just sell on their platform. And sellers were like, oh, great, another outlet for my products. Mm-hmm. Not realizing yeah. that Amazon, that by doing that, you know, can farm that data, which is now so valuable, and the reason why they're uh, rated at, you know, like a trillion dollar company. So manufacturers have not been stupid, but maybe just not had a choice at the time to do anything else. But I think they can reclaim some of that if they're smart and make the right, you know, investment decisions now and product decisions and technology decisions. Yeah, we did a um, podcast a little while ago. I'm not going to bore you with it now, but we'll put a link to this in, in the show notes on customer science, which effectively is the bringing together of AI data, you know, from, and this is obviously what we're talking about here, both of those, 
but along with that whole area of behavioral science that you again you've referred to and i think that's the, that combination of those three is so powerful moving forward so one last question Tobias. the really interesting thing is the difference between what customers say and what customers do so this is a hobby horse of mine and the really good thing is and the way i liked it that you'd sort of phrase this of you're getting both stories aren't you you're getting the story from the customer about this is how i'm using it this is what's happened etc cetera, etc cetera. but you're also then getting the story from the product and it's your point is which i think is a really good one is that's the bit that we've been missing hasn't it it's the point from the product that we are not getting as part of that overall mix yeah and the momentum is now i think that now is the time to tap into that because in the past we've kind of limited ourselves to voice of the customer voice of the employee voe voice of the market vom it's time to tap into the vop and it's not just the product that you sell that you want to know more about it's also things and objects that you deal with you know to run your business so think of your office space as we go back into you know offices and more and more companies are reopening their offices now what could happen if you made your office talk so here's a scenario that i've also laid out in the in the article let's say your you know management notices a decrease in productivity and hr notices an increase in sick days if you were able to listen to what the office itself has to say management finds out that air quality is showing an increased number of certain chemicals lately, exactly in those rooms that recently got equipped with new furniture. So let's say you bought new furniture, put it in a room. You might have an air quality monitor now you know, across your office space that tells you, hey, wait a minute, there's something changing here. And now you can correlate that insight with what you're noticing, You know what I explained earlier, decrease in productivity, increase in sick days. So by listening to the voice of the product here, the voice of the office space, the business gets to the root of the issue and can preempt a loss of revenue from lost productivity. Yeah. The applicability of, of this idea goes beyond just the products that you sell. No, absolutely. It's really good. So let's get into some practical stuff. So what do we take out of it? What are the practical steps that you think people should do? In the old days, I would say, pick up the phone. In the new days, I would say, go on Slack and shut up your product colleagues. If you're a CX professional and you work in a company that sells a physical product, let's say you're a vertically integrated you know, business, you sell a product, you support the product, and you are in the, on the CX or the, or the contact center side of your business, start reaching out to your product people and tell them, hey, I heard that we could instrument our products, connect them to the internet, and I could get a new voice you know, that influences how we can improve our business. Yep. Can you make that happen? That's what I would say. Go knock on their doors, ask them. Because the technologists know what's possible technologically, technically, that's not the issue. The issue is changing the processes, changing you know, how you run the business, changing who you talk to internally to tap into that potential of technology. Yep, no good. Ryan, your thoughts? I think it's a great insight. So I'm not nearly as up on the internet of things as I probably should be. But when I hear it spoken about, I hear it mostly talked about from 
not from this kind of customer experience perspective. And so I also found Tobias's article really interesting there. And thinking about it from that direction opens up some doors for us. So these data streams don't come by accident. They have to be planned, right? We have to figure out which sensors we're going to put into each of these products and, and what they're intended to do and the way they're supposed to be communicated back. And as Tobias already mentioned, who's going to get that data within the company? So all of these things need to, are not going to happen by accident. So we need to be thinking in a more forward-looking direction as we're, we're planning our next product innovations so that we can take full advantage of that. You know, and that also provides some some new insights around maybe how we want to cost this out. If we're looking at Internet of Things as mostly being a way of providing additional benefits to customers by allowing them to do new things with their products, then it makes sense for the customers to have to pay for those benefits. And so we're going to sell these Internet of Things products as a premium, and it's going to be pitched to customers as providing a bunch of benefits to them. If we start to realize the benefits to the firm of being able to have all this data to be able to design better products in the future, to be able to create better customer experiences now, then it might make more sense to start to not charge customers for the full weight of those benefits yeah. because we're starting to see what we can get going forward ourselves. And, and that then opens the possibility of making these products more affordable, getting into larger markets with them and so on. No, I, I like that. And I agree, you know, whilst it would cost more money to put these things in there, it shouldn't just be lumped onto the customer because the benefits for the organization in building the relationship, understanding how the product's been used are tremendous, basically. And if you're not doing, your competitors might be doing it today already. So I yes. think it's, yeah. become, you know, it's becoming a competitive differentiation. Yeah, no, I and agree with that. Yeah. The thing I would say is I would start off with what's the experience that you're trying to deliver to your customer, okay? And then here's an interesting question, which is what would you want your product to tell you? So building on what Tobias's thought was, what information would you want your product to tell you about itself, how it's performing, what's the temperature like, whatever it may be, you know, whatever your mind can fit around basically because i think there's so much information that you could drag from it that could absolutely then help the customer experience and that is an opportunity for the conic center group to sit down you know in the same room with the product group which they rarely do yeah and have a conversation right meet each other and exchange have this brainstorming session do a workshop on exactly that question that you just asked because you'd be surprised how different the perspectives from the tech guys and girls will be from the business side and the, the customer service side. And they both will have meaningful input into determining what is it really that we need to know to improve, at the end of the day, the customer experience. Absolutely. So Tobias, thanks very much for coming on the show. It's been really interesting and really, really got my brain working. And I'm going to maybe visit Ryan's shed and have a look at his saw and see what we can do with that. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Orlean's not interested in meeting you, Colin. <laughs> you know, here at Twilio, I, I have hardware colleagues that are specialists in this stuff. They would love to come and, you know, rip your saw apart and put new parts in and make it better. Okay, mate. Yeah. I bet you're pleased I brought that up now, Ryan, aren't you? I'm not going to sleep. <laughs> so, Tobias, if people want to get hold of you, how do they best get hold of you? Yeah, I, I'm pretty... Um, visible on the internet. Find me on Twitter or LinkedIn at TP Global, Tobias Peter Global, TP Global. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. 
and help him out with the spelling of Goebel too for the non-Germans in the audience. Yes, yeah, sorry, G-O-E-B-E-L. And we will put a link to Tobias's uh, social media in the show notes as well, so you can just click on those and uh, connect. It's obvious, isn't it? You would connect because that's what we've been talking about. So thanks very much, Tobias. Really good, really interesting stuff. And uh, we look forward to talking to everybody else next week. Cheers. Thank you. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.